Please stand for the reading of God's word. Our scripture reading today is taken from John chapter 5, verses 1 through 18. John chapter 5, beginning with verse 1. There was, after this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? The sick man answered, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed and walk. At once, the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, The man who healed me, that man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. They asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn, as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. My name is Dave Farley. I'm one of the pastors here at GCF. This morning, we continue our series in the Gospel of John, and I'd like to pause and pray one more time as we dive into this passage. Let's pray again. Father, thank you so much for those baptisms. Thank you for those lives changed. Father, we pray that you would change lives now as the Word of God goes forth. Father, we pray that you would send your Spirit and allow us to experience your manifest presence through the risen Christ. And we pray all these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Last spring, my family decided to drive to Phoenix, Arizona, a 20-hour road trip from Spokane. So we left on a Sunday at 1 p.m., and the plan was to stop in Salt Lake, roughly halfway, roughly 10 hours from here, and stay the night in Salt Lake, and then drive the, the, the other 10 hours the following day. But as we pulled into Salt Lake at 11 o'clock at night, I felt pretty good, thanks to an audiobook and a can of Bang!, so I thought, let's just keep going. So we kept driving through Utah. And around 3.30 or 4 in the morning, I started to get a little sleepy. And I thought to myself, I probably need to stop for the sake of the safety of the family and get some rest. And so we pulled off to an abandoned jack-in-the-box somewhere in southern Utah. And we parked in this parking lot. Uh, and we tried to get some rest 
for a while, but rest proved to be incredibly elusive. Why? My car seat was very uncomfortable. Uh, number two, there were seven bodies in our minivan, and everyone was breathing. So it was like a, a moist sauna with fogged up windows everywhere. And to make things worse, one of my kids, I won't mention his name, was in the very back of the car where all the luggage was. And every 37 seconds or so, we would hear this loud crunching noise. And we realized that he was lying on a Costco-sized bag of potato chips. <laughs> so every time he would move his body, he'd hear this loud crunching noise. So after about 35 minutes, I said to my wife, Heidi, this is not working. <laughs> no one is sleeping. Who are we kidding? Let's just keep driving. So at 4 o'clock, we head out. We, we kept driving, and we arrived in Phoenix at 11 a.m. the next morning. Spokane to Phoenix in roughly 23 hours. Not to brag, but that was pretty awesome. Now, all that to say is that we pulled into Phoenix totally exhausted, as you can imagine. Rest proved to be incredibly elusive in that minivan in southern Utah in a parking lot. I could not find rest. Rest is often elusive for many of us. But more elusive than physical rest is rest for our souls. And when our souls are not at rest, it's often very difficult for us to experience physical rest. And our souls are at rest because they're constantly stirred up, striving, striving, striving for more approval, more things, more popularity, more status. Or our souls are anxious about work or a relationship or a child. And because our souls are stirred up and not restful, we can't get physical rest. Here's the acid test. No matter what you face this week in your job, in your family, in your relationships, will you sleep well tonight? Will you sleep well this week? And the answer for a lot of us is probably no, because we are so stirred up in our souls. Is there hope for us? Is there a solution? Yes, and it's found in John 5, verses 1 to 18. Three movements of this particular story, desiring rest, destroying rest, and then delivering rest. Desiring rest, destroying rest, delivering rest. First is desiring rest, which raises the question, who in this story was desiring rest? And the answer is a crippled man. Look with me at John 5, verses 1 to 9. John writes this, after this... There was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. Now, this little pool was northeast of the temple in Jerusalem, and recent archaeological excavations have actually found this exact pool with these five colonnades. Why do I mention that? Because archaeology has never, ever, ever turned over the historicity of the Bible. These events really happened at real places with real people. And archaeology has proven that beyond a shadow of a doubt. Verse 3. 
In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. This particular man has been crippled for almost four decades. Where were you 38 years ago? Many of you probably weren't born 38 years ago. This guy had been unable to walk for 38 years. Now, keep in mind that in this cultural context, there were no doctors, there was no ibuprofen, no social services. This guy lived probably a lonely, isolated, painful existence. And as you can imagine, he really wanted rest, physical rest. He wanted rest from his suffering. So he goes to this pool. Verse 6. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, 38 years, he said to him, do you want to be healed? Which seems like a really stupid question. Of course this guy wants to be healed. That's why he's at the pool. So why did Christ ask him that question? Because Christ wanted to know what he was looking to for rest. And it wasn't Jesus. He was looking to folk tales and superstition, a false gospel to receive rest from his pain and misery. Verse 7 says this, the sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I'm going, another steps down before me. Now, Jewish folk religion, not the Bible, taught that at this particular pool, the angels would come down from heaven and stir up the pool supernaturally, causing this water to have healing properties. And apparently, this particular invalid wasn't able to get there in time to experience those healing properties. But he was so desperate to get healed, so desperate to have relief from his suffering, that he was willing to try anything to do anything. Verse 8, Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed, and walk. Verse 9, and at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. After 38 years of suffering, this man finally has the rest he desires from his suffering. Now, at this point, we could apply this text several ways. We could say, this text reveals to us that God is full of mercy and grace and compassion. Jesus actually stopped. Everyone else had walked by, but he stopped because he cares about the broken, the wounded, and the vulnerable. Maybe that's you this morning. If that's you, Jesus cares about you. Or we could say the story reveals to us that False saviors, false gospels like magical water in a pool cannot help us. Or this text could be applied by reminding us that someday for Christians, all of us will have all of our infirmities removed forever. But none of those particular points are the main reason this story is in Scripture. Why did John include this particular story in the Bible. There are many healings in the Bible. Jesus healed a lot of people. But why was this story divinely put in the Gospel of John? The answer is found in verse 9, especially the end of verse 9. 
Let me read verse 9 again. And at once the man was healed. He took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. Now, because this was the Sabbath, this is about to cause all kinds of problems for Jesus. Jesus intentionally healed on the Sabbath because he wanted to confront the Jews, the religious leaders of the day, in their legalism and their hypocrisy and their lack of understanding of the Old Testament. So this particular healing was meant to bring about a conflict with the Jews, and it sure does. It raises all kinds of problems, which leads us to the next point. So first, desiring rest. Second, destroying rest. Well, who is destroying rest in this story? And the answer is the Jewish leaders. Look with me at verses 10 to 14. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you, sinner, to take up your bed. But he answered them, the man who healed me, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. They asked him, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was. For Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see you are well, sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. So Jesus has healed him physically, but to receive spiritual healing, this man needs to repent of his sins. That's all Christ is saying in verse 14. Now verse 15, the man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. This guy is ratting out Jesus. Jesus just healed this guy, and he's not very appreciative. As a matter of fact, he, he basically gives Jesus up, tells the leaders who are mad at Jesus, it's that guy who healed me. He's not very thankful. Verse 16 and this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus. By the way, that word, were persecuting. Um, the Greek tense there is ongoing activity. From this moment on in the Gospel of John, the Jews are incredibly intolerant and mean-spirited towards Jesus. This marks a key turning point in the Gospel of John. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. Okay, so for the first time in nearly four decades, this man is walking around. He's probably smiling, happy, maybe skipping, dancing, jumping. He's super excited to finally be able to walk after 40 years of paralysis. But then he hears a voice. Hey, you, what in the world are you doing, you sinner? You are carrying a mat on the Sabbath. How dare you? Clearly, all you care about is physical health. All I care about is the honor and glory of God. The man replies, oh, okay. But can I at least tell you what happened? I was paralyzed for 38 years. Someone had to carry me to the bathroom carry me to the pool that never ever healed me. 
I had to be carried to this place and that place and the other place. I was lonely on my own, stuck in this spot. I was here for so long that my legs were covered in sores. And speaking of my legs, they were emaciated. They were atrophied after 38 years of not being used. They were like the legs of a little kid. And then all of a sudden, this strange guy comes along and he asks me, do you want to be healed? And I'm thinking, of course I want to be healed. I've been sitting here forever to try to get healed. And then this guy has the audacity to say to me, get up take your mat, and walk. And I thought to myself, are you kidding me? I've been this way for 38 years. But then something amazing happened. I looked down, and I saw those emaciated legs grow right before my very eyes. I saw the muscles grow larger. My legs grow longer. And I felt this power surge through my body. And then for the first time in 38 years, I got up and I walked. And I'm no longer paralyzed. The Jewish leader says, blah, blah, blah. I don't care about your medical history. All I care about is the honor of God and you are breaking God's commandments. And by the way, that guy who told you to walk, where is he? He's guilty too because he's encouraging you to break God's commandments. He's encouraging you to break the Sabbath. You and him are both in trouble. I'm gonna report you to the religious leaders. You're done for. Now, why in the world was this Jewish leader so uptight? Why was he so concerned about this guy carrying a mat on the Sabbath. You have to understand Old Testament history. Going back to the book of Genesis, the first few chapters, God created the universe in six days, and on the seventh day, uh, it was a day of rest. Not because God was tired, but because God wanted to rejoice and celebrate the good things that he had made. And in the book of Exodus, uh, roughly... Uh, 3,500 years ago, roughly 1450 B.C., God told Israel, Israel, there was a, a, a pattern established at creation, work six days, and then rest on the seventh day, Saturday. Now, many of the Jews in Jesus' day believed that perfect Sabbath observance would usher in the reign of the Messiah. So they were really, really concerned about obeying the Sabbath laws perfectly. But here's the thing. All God said to Israel was simply this. Don't work on Saturday, the Sabbath. In other words, don't engage in your vocation on the Sabbath. But the Jews took that, and they began to very quickly add rules where God was silent. That's pretty much the history of humanity. We love rules. By the time of Jesus, there were 39 additional extra-biblical regulations surrounding the Sabbath to protect the Sabbath from sinners. For instance, looking in a mirror was forbidden. Why? Because if you saw a gray hair on your face, you may be tempted to pull that hair out, which will be working. You could not wear false teeth because if they fell out and you picked them up off the ground, that would be working. You could not carry a handkerchief on the Sabbath 
but you could wear one around your neck. So if you wanted to get one from downstairs to upstairs, you just had to put it around your neck and then walk down the stairs and then take it off again. You couldn't spit on the Sabbath, or I'm sorry, you could spit on the Sabbath, but you had to be really careful. Because if you spit on the ground and then took your foot and did this with it, that could be cultivating seed. That's work. The Jews even debated about a man with a wooden leg. Namely, if his home caught on fire, could he carry his wooden leg out of the house without working? Again, all extra biblical. <laughs> Not in the Bible. The Sabbath was meant to be a time of joy and rest and celebration. Israel had been in, in slavery for decades when the Sabbath command was given. They were used to working all the time. And Yahweh said, I want you to rest. And what did the Jews do? They just added rules. We love rules because obeying the rules makes us feel good. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty good about keeping the rules. Pretty soon, we rest in our ability to keep the rules. We start to think, I go to church most Sundays. I am intimately involved in the life of my small group. I serve on a ministry team. I don't watch those bad shows on Netflix. I even recycle and drive an electric car. I'm a pretty good person, at least compared to the person next to me. We love to create rules, 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 rules. And rules destroy rest. The Jews in the first century were so bogged down in Sabbath rules, they could never, ever, ever find any kind of meaningful rest on the Sabbath. Obeying these rules leaves us exhausted. Tim Keller asked a very insightful question. He says this. He asked this. What is the difference between Christianity and religion? What's the main difference? Well, both groups like to repent of all the bad things they do. But Christians also repent of the good things they do. That is, the good things done to earn God's favor. That's bad. If we think that our good deeds, our rule-keeping, will earn God's favor, we are denying or ignoring the work of Jesus Christ. So the Christian is someone who repents of both his good deeds and his bad deeds done to earn God's favor. You and I will never, ever, ever find rest for our souls if we think that our obedience will earn God's favor or earn the verdict of justified. Maybe you're thinking, well, Dave, I don't work hard to obey the rules, but I bet all of you still work really hard at certain things. We work really hard to earn the approval of others. We work really hard for success. We work really hard to be fit. We work really hard to reach our sales goals. We work really hard for the new house, the new car, the new pair of shoes. And this gets exhausting. And there's nothing wrong with working hard, having nice things, and making lots of money. The issue is when those things become your source of soul rest. When you are looking to those things to satisfy your soul, that's idolatry. 
and you know you're guilty of idolatry, if you're striving for those things and you don't get them, and then your soul is crushed, and it leaves you exhausted. When we finally grasp these things that we strive so hard for, we realize that they leave us empty and broken. And we all know this, yet we still pursue these things thinking that they're going to be the place where our soul finds rest. But even if you were able to spend six months in Hawaii on the beach with an amazing condo and a pool and palm trees, your soul would still not be able to find rest apart from Christ. Well, how do I know that? Because billionaires can afford all those things, yet most billionaires are not at rest deep down in their souls. Our hearts, our souls were made for so much more than the next promotion, a nicer car, a nicer house, and more money. As St. Augustine said, our souls are restless until they find their rest in God. Well, where specifically is rest found? That brings us to the final point. First is desiring rest. Second is destroying rest. And third is delivering rest. Delivering rest. Look with me at John 5, 15 to 18. John writes, The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. And again, that was the main issue. These religious leaders were destroying their own rest with their legalism. And they're mad at Christ for desecrating the Sabbath. Verse 17, but Jesus answered them, my father's working until now, and I am working. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal to God. Now, verse 17 would have been shocking for the Jews. Jesus claims that he is working just like his father is working. This requires a little bit of explanation. So at this particular point in history, most of the Jews agreed that on the Sabbath, God rested from his work of creation, but God never ever rests in one sense from his work of preservation. Currently, God is upholding the universe by his power, and he's never ever ceased to do that, even on the Sabbath. So on the Sabbath, God rested from his work of creation, but in one sense, God is always working to uphold all that we see in this room. And the Jews of the first century agreed on that point, that yes, God the Father uh, is exempt from certain types of work on the Sabbath. Now, Jesus comes along, and he says, I'm just like my Father. A bold claim. There are certain types of things that I can also do on the Sabbath just like my Father. Again, his father could do the work of preservation, an aspect of providence, upholding the universe on the Sabbath. And Jesus can do certain things on the Sabbath as well. Jesus can heal on the Sabbath. And later on, Jesus says that he is Lord of the Sabbath. So in one sense, the Sabbath commands don't apply to him because he is 
the maker of all things, and he is the Lord and creator of the Sabbath concept in the first place. So in making that claim, Jesus is essentially saying, I am equal with the Father. And the Jews did not miss this. Because verse 18 says, from this moment on, they wanted to kill Jesus. Because they thought he was guilty of the sin of blasphemy. That is a mere man claiming to be God. We'll talk a lot more about that next week. But at this point, I want us to ask the question, what kind of specific work is Jesus doing on the Sabbath? Again, the Father is always doing the work of preservation, upholding the universe. That's the work that he's doing. But what's the work that Jesus does? Jesus does the work of salvation. And that was foreshadowed when he healed this crippled man. And someday, he will heal all the saints of all their infirmities. But Jesus, praise God, is allowed to do the work of salvation on the Sabbath. That's his work. What's the specific work? Theologians talk about the active and the passive obedience of Jesus Christ. What is his work of active obedience? Jesus, his whole life for 33 years, was always actively obeying every single command in the Scriptures, earning for you and I a perfect record of law-keeping. That's his active obedience. His passive obedience That word passive comes from the word suffering, passion. His suffering obedience was his work of dying on the cross in our place for our sins to absorb all the wrath that we deserved. Furthermore, there's his work of resurrection. He rose from the grave, proving that he was God and ensuring that someday our bodies would also rise from the grave. But he's still working right now. Jesus Christ is ruling and reigning over all things from the Father's right hand. Furthermore, Jesus Christ is working right now for all the saints. He is praying for you. He is interceding for you to the Father. And someday Christ will return and make all things new and make all things right and judge all of his and our enemies. Jesus Christ was working on the Sabbath to bring about salvation. Jesus obeyed all of God's laws perfectly. Therefore, you and I can rest knowing that God has earned for us a perfect righteousness. You and I never, ever, ever have to prove to God that we're worthy enough. Jesus Christ did that for you. He earned for you a perfect record of law-keeping that applies to you every second of your life. So now when God sees you, he doesn't see your sins. He sees you clothed in the perfect, spotless perfection of his own son, Jesus. Jesus died on the cross in our place. Therefore, we can rest knowing that we will never, ever have to pay the penalty for our sins. It's been paid, and because God is just, he can't judge Jesus and then judge you in the future. Your penalty's been paid for, which means if you're a Christian, you have nothing to fear on the day of final judgment. 
you can rest. Jesus rose from the grave, therefore we can rest knowing that we too will rise from the grave and say goodbye to all of our problems. Jesus is right now praying for us, which means that we can rest knowing that he has literally everything covered. He knows your every need. And right now, because he loves you, he's praying for you. He's working for you right now while you're sitting here. Jesus Christ will return someday. Therefore, we can rest knowing that he will defeat all of our enemies and all of his enemies. And if you have been sinned against, sexually abused, raped, or molested, justice is coming. It's coming. In addition, because Christ died for us, we know that we are fully loved and accepted by God, which means we can rest and stop trying to earn the love and acceptance and approval of those around us. If we know that God loves us and God approves of us through Christ, we can stop striving all the time to get folks to like us. You've been loved and approved by God the Father Almighty. And if God loves us and he gave us his son, what good thing will God withhold from us? Answer, nothing. Therefore, you can rest. You don't have to go out and work 80 hours a week to get the things that you think you need. God knows what you need. And if God gave you a son, you can rest knowing that God will give every good thing that you need. God knows all your needs, and he loves to bless his children. Jesus brings rest. He is the ultimate fulfillment of the Sabbath. Under the new covenant, we are not required to cease from our labor on Saturday. The Sabbath was always meant to point us to Jesus. We obey the Sabbath now, not by ceasing from labor, but we obey the Sabbath by putting all our hope and confidence and trust in Jesus Christ, who is the true Sabbath rest. We rest by trusting his finished work. Let me ask you a question. Is your soul at rest this morning? Or is it stirred up, striving, exhausted, Worn out, tired. Several years ago, I attended a conference in Phoenix with some friends. And one of my friends got stuck in a hotel room with a snorer. Now, don't think Tesla electric car snoring. Think giant diesel truck snoring. Okay? This guy was stuck with a very, very loud, obnoxious snore. To make matters worse, my friend was a very light sleeper. As you can imagine, he tossed and turned for hours, tried everything, pillow over the head, prayed to God for deliverance. Nothing seemed to work. And so, eventually, he was so tired, he was so fed up, he got out of bed, put his clothes on, grabbed his bag, went to the front desk, and paid for his own room. 150 bucks to get some rest. It cost him something. Here's the good news for us. Rest 
Soul rest cost you and I nothing. It's free. It's free. Jesus Christ offers himself to all of you free of charge. He'll give you the rest your soul needs. And it's found in no other place. Let me close with the words of Jesus, Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 to 30. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let's pray.